But I want to welcome you to this time. And as we get settled in, I want you to, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it uh, to Hebrews 13, where today we're going to finish our time in this letter. And oh, what a journey it has been. Again, I've said this before, I don't know if there's been a book that I've preached through that has stretched me more as a preacher and teacher in terms of the technical nature of the text, kind of week in and week out, feeling like I sit in the text and then I move to the Old Testament and then I have to go back to the text so I can talk about the implications for the text in our lives today. And so it has stretched me, it has grown me, and I hope... That, that as we have set under uh, th- this book, that it has done the same for you. That over the last 10 months, my hope is that Hebrews has been a benefit and a defining mark of hope and perseverance in your own walk with Jesus. And so let me just quickly explain why I, I hope that it's been a beneficial uh, mark of, uh, of hope and perseverance. When I talk about hope, and I think about the book of Hebrews, you see, as we've journeyed through this letter, this letter Hebrews has taught us to hope over and over and over again. In the face of whatever is in front of us, be it persecution, be it pressure, be it temptation in our lives, we can hope because Jesus is greater We can hope because He is our confidence and great high priest. And because of the hope that we have in Jesus, it leads us to, as we've been uh, closing out this book, to walk in faith. Uh, A faith that is not a label, but is actually hope lived out in word and deed. You see, we are to be a people of great hope. I was even, as I I thought on that, I was reminded on, on the podium here, uh, it, it has engraved uh, on the top, have hope. And it comes from a, a, a dream my wife had where uh, her, her dad was in the dream and, and she's looking at him and he says, hey, just have hope. Just have hope. And, and man, I think oftentimes as a people, specifically as God's people, we know that we are called to have hope. Even in really, really hard circumstances. And yet at times, we, myself included, we forget. We get distracted. We maybe at times begin to hope in other things. You see, Hebrews, one thing that it's taught us is that we are to hope. And our hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. Which leads to the second side of this is perseverance. I believe that we could all say that the author of Hebrews was not one to shy away from the call to not turn from one's faith, but to persevere in one's faith. A perseverance that is driven by the power of the Spirit, that is dependent upon the Spirit's work in one's life. Because guess what? We do not persevere in and of ourselves. And is a way in which we as the body of Christ encourage one another to continue on. You see, as one perseveres in their faith, their faith grows. And as our faith grows, the proclamation of Jesus should grow, for He is again our source and hope. And as our proclamation of Jesus is to grow, our our fervency to call others to persevere in gospel hope should grow as well. 
You see, we saw this all throughout our time in Hebrews by looking at not only Jesus, but we also had moments where we looked at the great men and women of faith that have come before us that are to be marks, that are to be encouragers of our own faith, are to be marks and encouragements of this call to persevere in one's faith. And so for each of us, we may look at Hebrews. May we look at Hebrews not simply as a book that stretched us spiritually and intellectually, but let us see it as a book that impacts both our heart and our living. For in Jesus, we have great hope that gives us strength to persevere and continue on, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of distress, even in the midst of discouragement. May we have hope today and may we walk in faith. And today, as we close out the text, I believe that the text is going to call us to those two very things. To both have hope and to walk in faith, no matter what comes our way. And the way that the text is going to do this is by calling us to really a few more imperatives that we're going to see in three ways. So the writer, in closing out this letter, is going to begin by making a personal request for prayer. The second way we're going to see this is the the writer then turns and moves to a prayer of benediction or a prayer of blessing for the people that he's writing to in us today. And then lastly, we see a simple call to respond to the exhortations that have been laid out through this letter. And so let's begin now by reading Hebrews 13 verses 18 through 19. It says this, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Okay, so as we begin, I want us to remember that all of these imperative commands, everything that we've seen over really three weeks moving into the fourth week, again, are not a result of a need to perform, prove, or provide a way for one to be made right before God. I never want you to leave here, be it this week or any week, with a checklist of to-dos that you think can make you right before God. I don't believe that that's the the call of the gospel. I believe that goes back to another way of enslavement, actually. But we are called to freedom that is only found in Jesus. And so these imperatives are actually calls or marks of fruit, the fruit of fellowship that only comes by way of Jesus. And it's through this fellowship that leads disciples to obedience in all of life. Again, as we've said Throughout this imperative section of the letter, our love for Jesus motivates our obedience to Jesus, not the other way around. And so what we get here in this imperative, this this first part of the text is really a request made by the author. That again is another call to view leadership in a different life than one might commonly view leadership in. Because you see, we get two things as we begin to close out the letter. We're going to get a prayer of benediction here in a moment that we're going to walk through over those that the letter is written to and all who would read it. But what we get here is that the author takes a moment and the author simply says, I need prayer. Pray for us, the author asks. 
Now, now the us here in the letter, I believe, carries a connection to the leadership dynamic that we worked through last week regarding the need to obey and submit to the leadership that has been placed over us. You see, what I love is that, again, this in the text, because it's the very word of God, this is good biblical leadership. Not some type of authoritarianism that is being set forth. And the reason I believe that is because uh, for the most part, uh, from what I've seen, uh, from what I've even experienced at times, uh, 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 people that that seek uh, to, to live into and out of authoritarianism, they seek to show no weakness. But also they care nothing of sharing needs with those that they see to be under them. And I think sadly, at times in the church, this, this reality, this reality of, uh, of not sharing one's need when, when you're in leadership is either, uh, either projected, stated, or implied towards those in leadership today. You see, at times, because um, of the way we view leaders or the way leaders view themselves or the need for themselves to be at times, church leaders either believe they can't or they won't reveal their own needs. So let me just work through a few examples of each of those. Let's begin with the, the you can'ts. I've heard this before, either projected or implied, is that in the church, a leader is hired so that you can take care of our problems, not have your own. We didn't pay, we don't pay you to, to address any issues or struggles in your own life. We pay you so that you can take care of the issues and struggles in our lives. We don't have time for what you need. And so they feel like they can't express need. Another way that this is done is, hey, you're a leader, so you can't possibly struggle. And if you do struggle, keep it to yourself. Don't say anything. One more way, leaders at times feel like they can't share need or struggle or uh, 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 anything like that is because uh, need is seen as weakness and you weren't called to be weak as a leader. You're only to be strong. And so we have the you can'ts, but also uh, we have the the won'ts. You know, for some leaders, they believe if I share this, it would be used against me. And guess what? Sometimes that is true. At times, leaders uh, have been vulnerable and maybe expressed something that was weaponized and used against them to um, get them out. To, to get them seen in a, a, a less than favorable light. And so it happens, and they say, well, never again. For some, they won't, because they believe if they share, it might allow another leader to, to uh, usurp their role and authority. So if I share this thing, maybe there's, and I believe this happens as well, there's another leader that's looking for that position, and they will use that so that they might take over. I think on the other side of that, sometimes leaders don't do it because they believe those under them to be a threat. And instead of being vulnerable and sharing it, they project kind of their their pride and insecurity on that person and they don't share. At times, leaders won't share because if they share, they believe no one will follow them. 
They believe, I I can't share because guess what? I can fix it myself. I don't need anyone else. They need me. I don't need them. You see, in all those things, (laughs) I don't think they breed health. Even for me personally, I think it's always it's interesting, like as a as a pastor and someone in leadership at times, I'm baffled by the way people view me at times or the way when people hear I'm a pastor, it begins to, the the arms just kind of come out and it's like you stay over there. I'll stay over here or, hey, I'm going to kind of it just changes the dynamic of the relationship. It, it does. And, and I'm but one of the things I'm really baffled at in, in my wife, uh, she hears this a lot is that. Uh, some people find it a struggle to grasp that I'm just a real person that has real struggles and needs. Like, like they don't necessarily say that to me, but they've said, Haley's heard it. I feel it. I'm sure Jeremy would also say like at times he feel like, Hey, like I have struggles. I have needs. Like I, I need grace just like you do. And yet a lot of times it's just like, no, you couldn't possibly have any struggle or need. You see, your leaders are just real people with real struggles that have real needs. And they're in daily need of the same grace that everyone else is. And because of this, we need prayer. Which is why I believe the writer, who again is to be seen as a fellow leader, asked for prayer. And this asking, I believe, should produce again a two-sided imperative for the church. First, for the leader. We must be willing to share our needs. You see, what we see here in the letter is the writer is so secure in their identity and their love for the people that they're willing to share personal need. And so leaders, and I specifically want to even speak to those that are being installed as elders today. That we will do the church a disservice if we are not willing to express our own personal needs, struggles and hearts with those who we've been called to shepherd. Guess what? We are not above need. And we need to be willing to exp- express such things responsibly. Now, the reason I say responsibly is this. Uh, some people don't need to know because they're not mature enough to handle it. They're not mature enough to prayerfully handle the need with grace and, and, and prayer. And I believe that can be said across the board, like in our lives, like we are to be wise, but we are also to be willing You see, we are to be wise in what we share and to whom we share those things. But also, we are to walk in humble wisdom that is also willing to share. Now, I get frustrated uh, when leaders, and I guess what, like I put myself in this category as well at times, but when leaders act as if they don't have need. It could be the I can't or I won't, but... Uh, when when you ask them, hey, anything going on in life? How are you doing? And it's always, I'm good. Crushing it. Marriage, the best. Kids, never act up. They're good. Immediately, I'm like, beep, boop, beep. Right? Like, it's all great. It's all good. Quiet time. Got some Paul level stuff going on. Third heaven stuff. Right? Like it, it's really, really. And, and I'm not. I, I, wanna, I want you to hear it. Like at times. Like it is good. 
But if there's never, if it's always good, and there's never ever any struggle or heartache or, or need or anything, and it's always just, you, you, this, this wall that's just built up, and I can't share, I'm like, wait a second. What, what's going on? Like, really? And so we as leader must be willing in wisdom to share needs. But the other side of this is for the church. I believe as we look at the text and what we see and the, the, the author's request, uh, man, but there should be a response to pray for your leaders. You see, expectation response is the church. It should be that leaders are praying for the church and the church is praying for its leaders. And so I encourage you to go ask these men that are going to walk up on stage today. But generally, I encourage you to pray for the leaders of the church daily. Like we need it and we desire it. In the words of one writer, if we desire power in our lives, in our church, we must pray How different the modern church would be if the majority of its people prayed for its pastors and elders. You see, this this begs the question, like as we see the the author say, hey, pray for us. Like, why do they feel so confident to ask? I think we see two reasons in the text. First, it says they have a clear conscience. The writer states that through all that has been shared, it has been done through dependence upon the spirit of God and not man. Which has led to the humble obedience of writing to them some really hard truths. But through it all, they trust that they followed the will of God. But the second reason we see is because in having a clear conscience, they've lived and acted honorably. You see, in following the will of God, the author expresses that the desire has been to live and lead above reproach. Not sinless, but living lives of integrity. And so what's the ask? Well, in the text, the ask is that they would pray for them to be together once again face to face. The writer actually says, he says, earnestly I ask you this because there is a desire to be together that relates again to the personal connection of the letter. This isn't some disconnected government agency coming down on those who have failed to follow the law. Rather, this is a deep heart for the gospel to flourish in and through the church. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, again, it's a call for leaders to share and for the church to respond with prayer. And so what I did this week is I, I messaged each of the guys that are going to be standing before you today to be installed as an elder here at Center Church. And I said, all right, guys, I've got three questions for you regarding prayer. How can the church pray for you? In the season of the life you find yourself in. How can the church pray for your family. In this season. And how can the church pray for you. As you begin this new season as an elder at Center Church. And so each of them. Along with myself. I responded to those. And I printed out. I've got copies. Kind of at the back as you make their way out. I want to encourage you to grab one of these. And take time daily to pray for each one of these men. They've been willing to lay it out. So pray for them. And as you pray, man, I encourage you to ask. 
Say, hey, you, you asked for prayer in this area personally. How's it going? Is there any specifics or anything different I can pray for? Has anything else come up? Because I believe they would love that. And so we get this call or request to prayer. prayer. But I want to continue with the next side of it where the author pens a benediction that I believe reveals to us a few more things that, that, that we're called to do in light of the text. Let's look at 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Alright, so we get here in the close out of this letter. It's a beautiful prayer of blessing over the people that holds the, the same focus that really encapsulates the focus that the letter itself has held throughout. And it presents us with a list of really direct ways of response that are needed in the face of the ups and downs of life. You see, the focus of the prayer is the same focus of the letter. Don't turn back, persevere. And it begins with, may the God of peace. And by using may God, this prayer begins by calling us to realize that it is God who is and will see us through all circumstances. You see, this truth for the believer should bring us hope and should cause us to look to Him and not self in the midst of the storms of life. You see, often I think this imperative, this call to look to God in all things is missed in the midst of those moments. You see, at times when we're met with the storms of life, with the struggle, with temptation, with uh, turmoil, we begin to look at what we can do instead of looking at what God is doing. Not only looking at what God is doing, finding hope because of the word about what he will do and then reflecting about what he has done. As we see that it's God is the focus of uh, of the one who's going to see us through. But it's not just God. He's described as the God of peace. You see, here we see that in our obedience to God by faith, we receive not simply strength to get by, but the very peace of God. Arkin Hughes states that God's peace is more than the absence of conflict. It is more than tranquility. It is completeness, soundness, welfare, well-being, and wholeness. You see, what we have to realize and respond to is that God's peace is available to us and it is the only thing that will bring rest to the weariness of our souls. And so may we quit running to things that we are told or we believe will bring quick peace and instead turn to God who is peace. You see, this is good news in the face of every circumstance. And we know it to be so according to the next part of the prayer, which reveals that this peace comes because of Jesus who was sent by the Father, who lived the life we could not live, who died the death we deserve to die, and who was resurrected as our so that our great high priest and shepherd who mediates between God and man and man to God leads us to have confidence that we might draw near and receive peace 
Because of the eternal covenant set forth by the giving up of himself on our behalf. You see, it's here in this prayer at the end of Hebrews that we actually get the first and only explicit reference to the resurrection. While it's been implied throughout the letter, the writer in praying over the body to whom he writes reminds them and us that the resurrection is proof that no matter what comes our way, victory has been won. Therefore, may we respond by living lives marked by the fruit of hope and peace that is only found in Jesus. This is how exactly how the writer finishes the prayer. The writer, after asking for prayer, after calling the people to look to the God of peace, who sent the Son, who has bought our victory and is our hope, then asks God to equip all those. Now that word for equip there, what the writer is doing, the word there means to mend or to repair things for a particular purpose. And so the writer, knowing what these people are dealing with, says, hey, even in the midst of this, God is using it to to mend you and shape you and, and to form you into something for His good purpose. It is a purposeful thing. So the writer says, ask God to, to equip those in the church with everything good. Now this isn't, again, some prosperity preaching here where it's like, hey, I hope that you have health, wealth, and happiness. No, what it means here that everything good is everything that you need. Everything that's needed. So that you might do the will of God no matter the circumstance and cost. Because He is working all things according to His purpose through Christ and to the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. You see, the focus of our obedience is that we might display the glory of God to the world around us but how we, by how we live differently in the face of persecution. By how we live differently in the face of suffering and pressure. Because guess what? We understand how the story ends and are therefore freed up for the work that God has for us. It is finished and will one day all be made new. And so may we live in and from that truth. And it's this call that really leads to one final imperative that I want to finish our time with. And so let's read now verses 22 through 24. It says this. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Okay. So to close out the letter. Which I think it's, it's kind of funny because the writer says I have written to you briefly. <laughs> it's a long letter. 
Some, again, think that it was a sermon that was preached. It's a long sermon. But after all the hermeneutical gymnastics, after all of the calls to persevere and not turn back, after the many difficult things expressed, the writer simply calls those reading in us today to be obedient to the Word of God by heeding or bearing the exhortation. What the writer's saying there is, hey, don't just cast this off. There might be things you're wrestling with. There might be things that upset you, convicted you. There might be things that, that you're looking at and, and need to surrender before the Lord. But bear with it. Because guess what? He just said it. He said he, it is here to equip you for the work of bringing God glory. Bear with it. Not not just in part or not just the parts that you like, but in whole, even the difficult stretching and convicting things. And the reason for that is that as we walk in obedience to the Word of God, we're equipped, we're shaped, we're empowered to stay the course. We persevere. We, we begin to see and to experience through it all. Jesus, our great high priest, truly being greater. We can look at our lives. We can look at our past. We can see where God has brought us. And we can say, yes, He is our great high priest. Yes, He is greater than those things that, that sought to destroy me or, or to, to uh, blind me or to, to divert my eyes. No, Jesus is better. I've seen it. You see, what that does is, again, that grows our confidence. Not in ourselves and what we can do and what we can produce. It grows our confidence in Jesus and who He says we are. And by the power of the Spirit, in the context of the local church, again, we can't disconnect any of this from the the, the local church. You need community. We are equipped. We are mended. We are changed. We are transformed. We are uh, uh, repaired. We are uh, uh, brought together. We are unified. To walk in faith like never before. See the writer at the end of Hebrews. has, Has poured out. Their heart over and over and over again, pleading with this church to not turn aside. And at the end, does three things. Says, hey, in the midst of this, in the midst of all you're going through, will you pray for me? But not only will you pray for me, let me uh, one last time remind you by prayer, man, what God has done through the person and work of Jesus. And, and what not only what He's done, but what He's doing in and through the church. Therefore, man, stick it out. Heed, bear the exhortation, even when it stings and, and cuts away those things that don't need to be there. Bear with it. So that you might be equipped to walk in faith like never before. And so how do we respond 
Not simply to the text today, but I believe just to the entirety of this letter. How are we to respond? Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, take what you've heard. And look to Jesus. Hold on to hope. Do not turn back to the former things. Engage in the church. Submit to and pray for leadership and proclaim to the world around you that no matter the threat or circumstance, Jesus is enough. Jesus is better. And Jesus is the only way to peace and life with God. But today, if you don't know Jesus... Today, if you're sitting here and maybe it's your first time to come in this room and you're hearing the end of Hebrews and you're like, what in the world's going on? And I think the, the same reality is with all of Scripture holds true. The reality is, is I, I would call you to take what you've heard today and to look to Jesus because He's your only hope. Maybe you, you're running to other things. Maybe you find yourself weary and broken and worn out today because you're seeking uh, all that stuff elsewhere. Today, I want to tell you that it's only found in Jesus. And if you want to know what this life is like, then I invite you to cry out to Him today for salvation. For today is the day. If you don't understand that, you can come talk to myself or here in just a bit. You're going to see uh, uh, three more men that are going to stand up here on the stage and they would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you came here with somebody today and you're like, yeah, I know they follow Jesus, but I don't know. Man, go ask them. And I believe what they'll tell you is that in life, Jesus is enough. That Jesus is better and that he is the only way to peace and life with God. And so on both sides, that's what I want to invite you into today. And the really neat thing is we're about to have an opportunity where we're going to see man, what this looks like in the life of the local church here in just a moment. But for now, what we're going to do is I'm going to have the team come back up. And I'm going to pray for us. And then what I want to invite you to is a time where we are going to share in communion together. So myself and Jeremy are going to come forward and we are going to present you with the elements that today, if you're a follower of Jesus in good standing with your local church, be it that you're a partner here or somewhere else, we want to invite you to come share in the table. To come partake in the, 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 the remembrance of Christ's body broken and His blood poured out. To be reminded of the, the hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. That, that He lived, died, and that He rose again. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would ask that you abstain from this. Not Again, not as a way to cast you aside, but as a way to say, hey, we want you to know what it is and know what it really means and really have faith and believe in who Jesus is before you come and partake in it. So there's no judgment or shame in not partaking. And then what we're going to do is we're going to worship. And then we'll continue with kind of the next part of our time today. But let me pray. And then we invite you to come forward.
Father, again, we thank You that You are the God of peace that brings peace to the weariness of our souls. So for those that know that peace, may, uh, may they be reminded of it. God, today, if there's someone in here that doesn't know that peace, God, may you reveal yourself in such a way that they experience that peace, that they cry out in in repentance, uh, in faith in you. God, I also ask that in the midst of all that's going on around us, all that's going on in our midst, every struggle, every circumstance, God, that we would look to you. The God of peace. Who gives us hope through the reality of the finished work of the Son. Who by the Spirit is equipping, is mending and transforming every area of our lives. So that we might follow your will. May we do just that. May it not just be something that we shake our heads to and say, yes, that sounds good. But may it be something that really deeply impacts the depths of who we are. But not just there, God, that as it impacts that, Lord, that it would move outwardly into action. And that we would actually walk in faith. A faith that only you provide. A faith that you empower. Embolden us today in Jesus' name. Amen.